Welcome, friends and family, to the Same Setting Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Moore, and with me, as always, my friendly co-host, Mr. Andy Ricks. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having us again. Hey, Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Let me ask you, do you have any New Year's resolutions? (laughs) I don't, man. This New Year just came so quick. I didn't... uh... You didn't make any New Year's resolutions. I'm just trying to be as good as possible. Yeah, just like be, like we should probably all year every. Yeah, moment are you saying year. that because there's a pastor present? No, <laughs> <laughs> your secret safe. I don't know me. what you're talking about. So. Your secret safe on me. Well, I had a New Year's resolution. Yeah. Um, but we're what January second. Haven't have haven't you already broken it? it? I've already broken it. Yeah. What is so, it? It was like running. Like I wanted to run. Uh, be better well, it's, ra- it's been raining. It's been raining. Yeah. Well, yeah that's so what I said. So you I'm do get a pass on rain days. Once it stops raining, yeah, I will fulfill that I think it just let up right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording, man. I have to do it. I have to do yeah, it later. Right. After we record. After the recording. Well, I'm excited about a about a new year um, with the Same Seven Podcast, and I'm extremely excited about today's guest, brother Jeff Clark, is in the house, brother Jeff. Hey, thank you, man. I'm yeah. glad to be here. This is Thanks. exciting. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Thanks for agreeing to to come on. Um, just to give a little brief intro about who you are and what you've done, I know you're going to talk even more about that. So I did find out that you have your PhD. Yeah. Um, when I was doing a little little digging on you, um, yeah, you didn't wear your professor attire in here. No, tonight. this is my casual attire, and yeah. this is almost what I preach in. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's pretty relaxed. Uh, yeah, I have a PhD. I don't tell many people that. Uh, don't want to scare them. Yeah. In psychology. Oh. Yeah. You be yeah. That's yeah. A good one. And uh, and then I have a master's in theology. Good. But when I got to the church and realized how crazy people were, yeah. I went back and definitely got need to get the, the counseling side of it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's helped me a whole lot. Well, you've been in ministry for um, over thirty years now. You're the pastor of Venture Church, which has four campuses in in South Mississippi. Um, and you've you have you been there your entire career? Yeah, this is the only church I've ever served. So okay. thirty three years, and of course I've changed job descriptions, and the church has changed yeah. everything in the last three decades. Very good. Well, um, Andy's going to get us kicked off with the first. Yeah, question. sure. Let's get right yeah. into it. So, Jeff, one thing that we ask our uh, guests when they come on is just tell us a little bit about your journey in life, faith journey in particular, things that kind of molded your faith and your religion and everything. And in particular also, and towards, I guess, the later part, focus a little bit more about how the church has changed and how that's been involved with you as well. Well, I grew up in a real small town in Alabama, and Hamilton, Alabama. It's a truck stop town outside of uh, Tupelo into right across state line into Alabama. So... Um, and I grew up in a home of parents who were really young. My mom got pregnant with me in high school. And so my parents, you know, they struggled financially. And so as, as I grew up, they began to have struggles. And uh, at about 13 or 14, they divorced. And one of the great things they did is they had me in church every Sunday. I mean, even though they were struggling, uh, it was a part of our scheduling to go to church every week. What church did y'all go to? What denomination? I went to a free will Baptist church. Okay. And, you know, when you're out in the country, you don't have... Options? Yeah, you don't have the main... <laughs> you know, like, there's not as many mainline 
churches. It, right. it was an offshoot of, of Baptist churches. Right. But it was the most amazing place with regard to godly people, people that loved me. You know, it was small. Everybody knew when you weren't there. And uh, everybody kind of took care of you when you were struggling. And mm-hmm. so it's really a, a focal point of my life in being in church when my parents divorced. Yeah. And so, you know, it was a pivotal time for uh, me because in a small community, uh, you know, 40 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, I know I look too young. To, you, know, but <laughs> you look very too thank young you. for that. But, you know, back then it didn't happen all the time. And so it was traumatic, and it was, uh, you know, something that kind of a shockwave kind of went through the community. And it was then that I really got serious about my faith. And through the worst thing that ever happened in my life, God was building a platform to do the greatest things that I could have imagined. So it's really a unique uh, picture of God taking really difficult, broken things and and using them for good. You know, I, I hate to be that cavalier about it, but he just, you know, used that time to say, hey, I want, I want you to do something uh, with your life, not just be a follower of mine, but put yourself in a position to help people like your family because divorce and, and, and making bad decisions for most churches, when that happens, you're, you're kind of ostracized. Right. And so it dawned on me, you know, I didn't want to be a part of that kind of ministry. And really, I didn't want to be a preacher. So, so God was working and preparing me through that season of being a teenager and drawing my faith to a deeper level because I got saved when I was nine. In fact, I was sitting on the back row passing notes. And uh, a friend of mine, I said, oh, hold up a second. It was one of those weirdest moments when it just, I realized I was not a Christian. And in our little church, they gave an invitation and they sang for a long time. But but during like the first stanza, I was walking down the aisle because I knew I was lost. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a progression of God just putting his hand on my life, waking me up from some things and saying, hey, I want to use you. I want to use you to help people especially people that are broken, especially people that hate church. And so that's how it all began. It was right. it's the weird beginning led to some weird realities. And you said you were saved, you walked down when you were nine? Yeah. And, but you got divorced, your parents had divorced after that, though, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so at, at 14 or 15, I had, I had another just awakening with regard to faith where— uh, I really question if I was saved when I was nine because, man, it was so real at 15, you know. And uh, But God was calling me to ministry, and and I didn't, I didn't really want to do that. I mean, it didn't fit the vision I had for my future, you know, uh, because in a small church, you, know, you get run out of the church about every year, and you, you're bivocational, so you're broke. Yeah. And, and you got to go to church three or four times a week, which I didn't like to go once a week. So it was a weird, you know, convoluted time where I thought, well, maybe I wasn't saved. And really God was saying, no, I'm calling you to do ministry at a different level. 
mm-hmm. in a different platform. Yeah, it's funny you said that because we've talked about on the podcast how, I guess, probably just mainly in the Baptist culture, you get saved yeah. multiple times. Yeah. And it could yeah. be just a similar experience to yours, but somebody just interpret it as like, well, maybe I wasn't saved when I was nine. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people around me trying right. to help me figure that out. So, you know, when you're 14 or 15, with all the other issues you have, to try to understand what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life is is confusing. And so looking back on it, uh, I was saved at nine, and, and God changed my heart, even though I was nine. And he was building in me uh, some muscle that I, w- I would need later on in life. So speaking of the muscle that you needed, let's let's dive right into I guess your history with um with First Baptist Church. You you started there as this student minister, mm-hmm. right? Talk a little bit about your beginnings there. Well, I was uh I went to Southwestern Seminary after Mississippi College, where I got a, a BA degree and got a master's in theology from uh, Southwestern. And the way they do it is you, you have different churches that you, they get your resume and you go and visit them. And, and really the worst option I had, I had about 10 options. And the worst one I had was Hattiesburg. <laughs> I had done my research, you know, I'd done the due diligence about where the pastor was and where the church was and kind of what kind of church it was. And, and man, I came to visit just because I thought, well, you know, I need to check this off. And I left knowing the church was worse than I realized and that God had called me here. And so when I got back to Fort Worth and told my, uh, my wife, who we just had a, a little girl uh, who was like a month old, we're going to Hattiesburg and it's going to be a difficult place and, <laughs> and it's going to be great. Uh, and my sweet wife came. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Was she from Mississippi? She's from Biloxi. She? Okay. So uh, her dad was a pastor at First Baptist Biloxi for mm-hmm. 30 years. And so it was closer to home. But uh, but for me, it was like a foreign country. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Hattiesburg's beautiful and wonderful. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Yeah. But 33 years ago, without being here, I just thought, you know, this is a this is a crazy place. Right. It was a much smaller place, too. It was a much smaller place. Uh, we had a kid that lived out near the middle school in Oak Grove. And yeah. I remember thinking one Wednesday night, I'm like, dude, I can't keep driving out here. <laughs> yeah. It's just too far. So far right? to go yeah. to Oak Grove. And that's like yeah. the center of town. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. That's so, so funny. So a lot's changed. Yeah, it has. So when you came on as a, as the youth pastor at First Baptist Church, that's been 30-something years 33 ago 33 years now, ago. Um, what were some of the challenges that you faced coming right out of seminary into First Baptist Church, into a place where you were excited about, but not really excited? But Well, I was really excited about the church. I, yeah. mean, I, I knew it was, it was going through some transition. Mm-hmm. I knew there was difficulty. I knew there was kind of a uh, power struggle within the church with regard to the pastor and all that. But, man, I, I just it, right immediately I felt at home. You know, I, I loved uh, student ministry. The people I worked with were amazing. I mean, they were helpful. Um, they were able to support 
the ministry we were doing. I was doing a lot of Bible studies in homes, which nobody was doing that then. I was doing actually our Wednesday night Bible study in people's homes. And so it was gathering up, you know, so, you know, 100 kids on Wednesday night packed in a house and we were seeing a lot of things happen. So we hit the ground running, new wife, three, at that point, three month old baby girl. And we had the time of our life. Mm. I mean, it was fun. I was, I was uh, in charge of the youth ministry. I had in seminary had been to a church and kind of watched it. And now I actually was in charge and didn't have a clue what to do. Yeah. I mean, I literally, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But they were so gracious to let me learn, fail, stumble, figure it out. And we began to have a pretty amazing student ministry. How big was the church when you first When came? I came, they ran about 600 yeah. in, in worship. And, uh, and so it, it, was, it was a good-sized church. Mm-hmm. 600 is a lot of people. Yeah. And, but the youth ministry was, was running about 25 or 30 and getting it out of the building uh, and getting a different feel to it really attracted a lot of unchurched kids and a lot of nominal kids. Now, there were some great kids, you know, that were there. Right. We reached a lot of different kinds of kids that would come to somebody's house because it was it was pretty low key. There wasn't a whole lot of pressure. And it just kept growing, you know, and it kept building. And we added to that. Uh, some mission trips. We went to Belize every year and rewarded them with a trip out to the island. Um, and it just kept building and kept growing. The problem is while it was growing, we were losing preachers. Mm. Uh, we had one preacher come and, and uh, or one guy that was there, he was on his way out. And I knew that another guy came, he stayed about two or three years, he left. And another guy came, he stayed two or three years, and he left. And there were difficult circumstances to all those guys leaving that I happened to know about being the youth minister. And the real turning point came when they said, hey, we want you to be, we want you to be our pastor. Yeah. And I was 35 years old, and I saw what had happened to those other guys. And I truly didn't want to be the pastor Mm. and but man it was it was what I was supposed to do and so I found myself listing all these cons Mm. to being the pastor the only pro was that God was calling me to do it and uh, I grabbed a hold of it Preaching Sunday morning, preaching Sunday night, preaching Wednesday night, doing weddings, doing funerals, trying to, uh, you know, maneuver through the deacons meetings and the political structure. And it was it was it was nightmarish. Yeah. Well, you wrote a book, um, I guess it was back in 2012, called um, The End of Church as We Know It. Yeah. And in the book, you you talk about your journey from being a, a youth pastor to dealing with the the political pieces of, of church and yeah. um, the transition there. So tell us about when um, when that transition, I guess, kind of started to take effect. Well, it was, it was unique because they gave me a little time off, you know, two or three weeks off to, I guess, get some sermons up so I wouldn't be behind when I got there. And as I started praying and preparing messages, uh, God really started bringing back 
those same things he said to me when I was 14 and 15. Um, <clears throat> I want you to be a part of something for people who are broken, for people who don't like church, uh, for people who don't fit in. And, and it dawned on me through the process of every week, I was looking at the same people and they all were dressed the same. Uh, they all kind of went to the same schools and, you know, had the same uh, habits or, or things that they like to do. And, and God kept saying to me, man, you need to, you know, you've got the church is to be for everybody. And I was sitting up in the the one of the boxes at the USM game, eating some chicken wings, drinking a Diet Coke, and it was raining. And I remember looking down at the peasants who were, who were getting rained on, thinking, "Man, boy, it's terrible to be them." Now I'm so glad I'm up in this box. And I felt God saying to me, "Hey, you you're to build a church for those people. These people up here already have everything." And so when I began to share that vision for our future, people thought it was novel until I started strategizing to actually make that vision become a reality. Yeah. And it wasn't big things. I moved the pulpit off the stage so that it would be more casual and I could walk around. And I still remember an old lady, was, she was waving at me, and I thought she wanted to give me a hug, you know, before the service. And she said, where's the stock store's furniture? And I said, sweet lady, too. I mean, she's not, it wasn't a mean lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, the stock stores, you know, the pulpit was, the stock stores gave that to the church. Uh-huh. And I want it back up there. Uh-huh. And I said, I, you know, I'm sorry. I, I don't even know that they've been dead 50 years. Yeah. But there was a spirit of, of ownership mm. in the church. You know, you, you gave gifts in memory of somebody or you put something and you controlled it. Yeah. And so it dawned on me that um, that the people who were there had misinterpreted what the church was to be about. It wasn't to be about them. It was to be about people who were lost and broken. And the more I led us in that direction, the more uh, hurt and, and disgruntled and fearful and uh, that they became. Mm. And now they would say it differently, you know, because everybody's got their own angle. Right. There's two sides. Yeah. Of the story. They would say, well, he came in and changed all the things that we loved. And, you know, it was our church. It was Jesus's church. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's sacred is God's word and what he says about his bride, the church. And when I started saying stuff like that, it really didn't go over well. And when I started saying, you don't get your theology from the hymns, you, you don't elevate a hymn alongside of scripture. That is anathema. That's accursed. I really went downhill from there. <laughs> And then when I said, we're not going to have robes anymore. Uh, and they were white robes. It, it, to me, it felt awkward. You know, yeah. an older white church in the South, and, and, the, and they had white robes on. Yeah. It just felt awkward. And so, and then I began to, you know, and so 
they, they were punch drunk over the changes I was making. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, this didn't happen immediately. This happened over five or ten years. Yeah, so where were we, where were we time frame? You'd been the youth minister or been student youth minister, minister for, for 10 years. 10 years. 86 then, to 96. So about another like five years in transition of you being the pastor, things were changing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I'd say in five to seven years, you yeah. know, because it took me a while to just figure out the differences in, 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 in being the youth minister where everybody loves you. Right. You know, you're like a little nephew that's running around. <laughs> Nobody pays attention to you. Mm-hmm. And so I was hearing all the stuff uh, yeah. while, you know, while I was with all the, and I knew all the people's kids. Mm-hmm. So I knew everybody's secrets. Right. <laughs> and it gave me a lot of, and I didn't ask for this, but it gave me a lot of power. Mm. Because I also had a microphone stuck to the side of my head every week. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a weird dynamic. And and it began to ruffle the structure the control structure, and and the church is basically run by five really strong, good men. I call them the Fab Five, mm-hmm. and and the Fab Five began to work to try to undermine and dismantle the direction of the church, and that's when it got kind of squirrely. So, talk a little bit about um, <clears throat> you know the Fab Five. So, how was the the church's structure at that time what yeah, who it, made the decisions was it all on the pastor was it a group of deacons i know you said five families it, it but, was complex yeah and i think that's the that's the reality of, of a lot of churches that are run by just a few people um it was a committee run deacon led church so the pastor and staff really didn't have a whole lot of influence uh, you had to be a master politician to get anything done because you know you could have a fist fight over the color of the carpet, yeah. Or who's going to get a contract to renovate the, or if you're going to even renovate something. And so it, it, I finally figured out who was on first. There were five committees, and then the committee on committees, of course, is the big one because they actually can put the people on. So the five five were rotating the five committees. And then they would plug in the chairman of deacons and 36 deacons. And so to get anything done, you had to go through the five committees, then the deacons, to make a simple change. Mm-hmm. And so it was Sounds great. easy enough. Well, it was a great uh, way to control things. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of like our government now. <laughs> yeah, it, like, like the impeachment hearings yeah. reminded me a lot of our church downtown. Hmm. Uh, like a bad business meeting that lasts forever and ever, and at the end of it, you really haven't accomplished anything. Right, right. And so it, it began to uh, ruffle the wrong people's feathers. Uh, different people came to my office and threatened me, and, uh, you know, people that could actually have you hurt, they wouldn't actually hurt, that they could have you hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it dawned on me that, this is going to be a battle. And so I tried to leave the church two or three times. I went to visit other churches, got through a series of things, uh, really forced me back to Hattiesburg. Uh, sicknesses when I was trying to preach. A tornado came over a church where I was preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got where I couldn't talk at one church. And, and finally I said, Lord, I'll just, I'll just stay until, you know, you release me. Mm-hmm. And so during that time, it really started getting 
sticky. And, um, and all these people that raise me, all these people that love my kids, all these people that I vacation with, when I began to change the way the church was done, they changed the way they treated me. And it never dawned on me that they were using me. Before the first way they were treating you. Yeah. Almost like buttering you up as long as you did what you wanted. Well, I just think they, they liked me because I didn't have any power. Right, right. And I was taking care of their kids mm-hmm. and I was good to their kids and I was you doing were servicing all... them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot like The Help, the movie The Help. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the way it worked. Yeah. And as long as you figure that out, you're okay. But when <clears throat> it dawned on me we weren't equals, that I was their their boy, I thought, you know, that's not the way this is supposed to work. And as God gave me more vision and I began to share more vision, I received more criticism and attacks. And I'll give you one instance, and this is, there's, I can give you a thousand but I ran with these guys for 10 or 15 years. Two great guys. Great guys. All these people I'm talking about are great people. It's just the change was, the threshold of change was too mm-hmm. great. And we were running one day, and one of, the, one of the guys that ran all the time, he wasn't there, and I was just running with this one guy. And he always, I was always stopping to walk while he ran. Yeah. And this day he stopped, and I thought, God, what? he said, I'm going to talk to you. I said, okay, you okay? And he goes, yeah. And he said, look. My dad and I got rid of the last preacher. <laughs> he told you that his dad and him yeah. got rid of the last preacher. And we can we can get rid of you, too. Oh, wow. And, you know, oh, I'm an Enneagram 8, a challenger. And all I could think to say was, you need to go back and tell your daddy that he's not man enough to get rid of me. Hmm. And that was the last time we ran. Uh, together. So, and they did. They pulled an all-out assault, accused me of everything. I, uh, they thought I was Osama bin Laden. I was accused of the terrorist attack on 9-11. So it just went downhill from there. And these are people I still, I mean, I still love them, but but they just were not willing to let go of their church. Right. And Basically, you could have put a, it'd be like having a country club that had a steeple on it. Mm. And it was just time for that to begin to change. Uh, and I say that with a, with a great amount of love and respect for people who honestly could not see what I'm telling you. That, that they could not, for the life of them, see the direction of the church and how it could be possible that God could be in it. Yeah. Uh, godly people that I, I consider them godly calling me the spawn of Satan, mm. you know, and I, I mean, my wife's called me that, but I've never had a <laughs> church member <laughs> call right. me that. And, yeah. You know, threatening letters and um, chain letters, you know, wanting to get rid of the, mm. wanting to get rid of me. And, and it was hurtful. Yeah. For threatening stuff. I mean, did you just kind of wait it out, or did you ever try to react to anything? Oh, I made some, yeah, I made some bad reactions. You know, I said things I shouldn't have said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you keep pulling on the tail, you get to the teeth. Mm-hmm. And I tried every way I could to stay out of that kind of situation, but there were times where you, you just, the, the 
I had a young family. I, mean, I was 35 years old. I'd never been a pastor. I'm not whining. I'm just saying, like, people look back and go, why, why didn't you... Why didn't you just, well, I didn't know to do anything different. Yeah, right. You know, God says, go in this direction. You try to go in that direction. The powers that be go, hey, you know, you're the spawn of Satan. We run the church. You just preach. And I had to say, well, you know, that's just not true. That's not the way it is. Mm-hmm. And and so it they mounted a greater kind of offensive and then over a period of time, people began to leave. And and then they started sending their money to the foundation, which we had to try to bankrupt the church. So that, you know, if you don't have any money to pay your bills, then they starve you out. Mm-hmm. And so I still remember on Monday I went in and we had to fire four or five people because you don't have any money to pay them. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, it was... It was just a it was a dark, dark season. What would you say was the the straw, I guess, that, that broke the camel's back with the group that um I guess started this uprising against you and the hostility, the threats? Was there any one thing that you did or one change that you tried to implement that really just set them off, or was it a, a series of things. I think it was, and, and one guy said in his book that the the preacher before me, uh, uh, there's actually a chapter written about me, and that the guy before me flushed out the quail and I shot them. <laughs> and I, I, you know, don't think that's true. I think the reality is God had a plan to change that church, and he happened to use me, and he prepared me for that church with my family that was chaotic and broken and crazy. He actually was using that to prepare me for this church because it was chaotic, broken, and crazy. And my idea as a healthy person would have never stayed. That's one of those guys before me left. They were fairly healthy guys, good guys. But I'm not that healthy. I'm not that good. <laughs> I, I, yeah. the, the reality is I really want to be obedient yeah. to what I think God's called me to do. And um, so from there, we, we lost a lot of people. Uh, there were a lot of people that we had vacation with, done, come back from vacation to do their extended family's funerals. And just one day they were gone. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, like, Gone. No, no. See ya. You know, we're going. We're going to another church because you know we want this. Just, I mean, one day, just you know, dozens and dozens of people were gone, and to the point, my wife said, "Are you sure that you're doing what God's called you to do?" And I said, "Honey, if you want to go." to where all of our friends are going to church, you go and I'll meet you for lunch because I got to do this. Mm. And she was sweet enough and godly enough to say, well, against a hundred of our friends that say you're crazy, I'm going to believe in you. And so we piddled and, you know, I mean, you'd run into them at Walmart and, 
hard not to run into people in Hattiesburg. Yeah, and it was like stepbrothers trying to, you know, know how to uh, <laughs> yeah. shake. You know, do you punch? Do you shake? Do you? And so it was. It was ridiculous. Uh, it's embarrassing, really, that we had to get to that. And people say, why didn't you just start another church? Why didn't you? I always love it when they do that. There's two things I say. One is, why didn't you start another church? Well, because God called me to change his church there. And, and, the, and the other one is is basically like, why did, why, did you, why did you make all the old people mad? Just think where we could be if they had stayed. And I said, yeah, I know where we'd be. We'd be downtown running 250 people. <laughs> and so there, there were things that it dawned on me, people in business and people in our church that were really doing well financially, they were moving out of town. They were changing their business, yet they wanted their church to stay downtown and not to change in their methodology because it was religion to them. Mm. It, it was a mantra that they could go to and get a little solace when they wanted to and make sure they were visited when they had a toe hurt and move on with their life. But God wanted to be integrated in their life mm. and be on the move with them. And, you know, again, it'd be nice to hear from other people that felt differently about it. Um, and the where I really got chipped was over, he just hates old people. Man, I love old people. Love them. We do anything in the world for them. We have a group of senior adults from downtown that still meet every Tuesday in our church for their choir and half of them go to other churches. And we shut down a whole wing of the building just to love them and give them a place to, to sing. Uh, we don't hate old people. We just love Jesus more than we love tradition. And so that kind of talk will get you killed. Yeah. Well, the story of you and um, the church getting the land out West Hattiesburg because yeah. y'all were... Um, downtown at the time, you had a very traditional style um, yeah. church, which I'm, I'm guessing still stands. Is it, is it used, the church downtown? The Catholic or? school bought it. Okay. So you can imagine, I took a 135-year-old church, changed the name, changed the location, and sold the building to the Catholic school. <laughs> other than that, <laughs> that it went, other than that, it went well. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> other than that, it made a lot of sense. So I, I know in your book you talk about you weren't really on board with the purchase of the land on Lincoln Road where your where your campus is now. Tell us a little bit about well, how that you, came you know, to be. And some of these people are still alive, not many of them, but there was a – and they're shrewd. You know, this is a great thing about older, wealthier, powerful people. They're shrewd. And one way they're shrewd is that it's kind of like the uh, Wizard of Oz, you know, the wizard behind the curtain. I am the one. You know, it's like you, you, you don't realize they're back there doing the thing. And so um, I was determined we we're going to buy property because we needed room to grow. We couldn't, yeah. we, were, we didn't have any parking. Y'all were laying low. We I mean, yeah. in every way, it was, you know, it was wrong. I mean, we had to buy property uh, to have a chance. Mm hmm. And so two guys went out to the where Lincoln Road is now. There was nothing there then. No bridge, no road, uh, no buildings. 
just rough terrain. And they found this acreage. They knew a guy that had 33.2 acres. And, and um, so they came back from the real estate committee. Um, <clears throat> committee for everything, you know, the bathroom committee, you know, if you bathroom have committee? to pray, you know, I'm being facetious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hey, but the property it. and grounds committee, so they yeah, did right. have the bathrooms. Um, but they came back to the church with a presentation without consulting me about buying property uh, in this area uh, of Hattiesburg for the future. It was so smart because the older people didn't want to do it, so they're going to vote against it. And the younger people would, what would you say if you're buying property and and it, it was no way to get to it? Why would you why would you buy property that you can't use? And so we voted, and it was sixty five to forty five, basically a split. Yeah. To buy the property. Well, that night at ten o'clock on the news, there was an announcement by MDOT that they were going to build an east-west corridor. It had been on the books for years. Yeah. But they announced it that night. They were going to build a bridge over the interstate, and they're going to build a corridor, an extension of Lincoln Road, that would help ease the traffic off of 98. And so in nine months, they built a bridge and a road that went right in front of our new property. <laughs> and it was the beginning of miracle after miracle of God doing things that I have no idea how he did it. Yeah. Using people that I have no idea that he would use. For instance, downtown, this is one of this, this is where it got started when I first became the pastor. I wanted to put up a screen. Now, I know now everybody's like, well, of course. But nobody in Hattiesburg had a screen right. where you saw the you know, the words on the yeah. screen because you had hymnals and you'd look down in the hymnals and you'd read music. Of course, it's like Jesus did. And so <laughs> I, I, I told the property and grants, I wanted to screen. They said, well, how are you going to pay for it? And I said, well, I, they weren't paying me, you know, $40,000. Yeah. So I didn't have enough to, I mean, I didn't have the money. Right. And one day I was in my office whining to God about it because I knew we needed to make changes. And a guy came into my office, who now is one of my best friends, who I did not know well at all. I knew who he was, who didn't go to our church. And a lady called, the secretary said, hey, so-and-so's here to see you. And I said, well, send him back. And he walked in. He said, how you doing? I said, I'm terrible. He said, well, what can I do? I said, well, guy, you can give me $10,000 to buy a screen and a projector. And he pulled his checkbook out and wrote me a check for $10,000, flipped it on my desk, and walked out the door. Nice. And so I went and had a projector and a screen put up <laughs> and didn't even say anything about it to anybody <laughs> until one older lady, about, it's about, it about six to eight weeks. You could see it up there, but I didn't do anything with it. Until oh, I you didn't turn it no, on? Yeah. No, I didn't put it in nothing. Yeah. Until an older lady walked up. She goes, when are you going to let that screen down? And I said, we're going to let it down next Sunday. And it revolutionized our worship. Hmm. For the first time, people were looking up when they sang, and it was like a different church. And from there, it just went crazy. 
And when I brought the guitars in, and God forbid the drums, <laughs> it literally exploded. Yeah. And people said, why don't you do it slower? And I did do it. You know, in five, seven, ten years, I couldn't wait for everybody to die. <laughs> I mean, there's still a few of them still around. We still would be down there playing oh, gosh. the organ, yeah. playing with the opera. What about the actual move? I mean, I know y'all had to start probably raising money to build and all that. How was the? So you got your you got your drums and your guitar. Yeah. yeah. I'm assuming now you start raising money. You yeah. Finally start raising money. Yeah. Huh? No. No. Now we're starting to raise money. Right. Can you imagine? Asking wealthy people who hate you, hate what you're doing, <laughs> to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. That's what we did. And we raised $5.2 million. There you go. And families that gave hundreds of thousands of dollars never stepped foot in in the church. In the new one? Right. And part of it was we, we built it in phases. We built a, like a youth building out there with a big kitchen, you because know, you got to eat. Yeah, right. I mean, you got to have fried chicken. You got to be a Baptist. <laughs> and and you know we had to pay the property off first, mm-hmm. which was one point three million dollars. That was a lot. That's before we raised the the money. I mean, that was that was the yeah, first. That was just trying that was getting on the phone, calling different people. Hey, could you give us some money? Could you? And then it was the the five point three. Yeah. And that's when we that's when we started building the first phase, which was the youth building. And then the second phase, which is the children's building, and then the third phase was the sanctuary, the worship center. And had we not sold the building, uh we would not have had the money to have moved. So it was just one chain of events after another set of miracles that we even got out there. Do you think if y'all didn't have to sell or just didn't sell the building, but still moved, there would still be a First Baptist Church? No. Okay. If there were, it would be about 75 people, mm-hmm. maybe 125. Because I know, and I don't know the full story, but I know when Temple moved, there's still a Temple Baptist Church yeah. down on Hardy Street. Yeah. I don't know what the affiliation is, but I always thought that was interesting how there's two. Well, there there was a little different model in what what we did versus what Temple did. Temple had uh, the concept of one church, two locations, mm-hmm. and but you were going to have two different pe- preachers, and so it kind of began to be a you know like a like wait, which way are we going. What I wanted to do is just move our church and grow. Right. And so so that was, to me, the difference. And the churches that I look at now, that I because I research churches all the time, so I love it. I'm fascinated with it. If you go to communities like Hattiesburg, who have First Baptist churches, you won't find one that I'm aware of. Now, maybe someone can tell me that's running over 500 people. And the congregation average age is about 65 or 70. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that's bad. That's just not what God called me to do in leading our church as the pastor. And now that we have four locations, we're averaging 3,500 
uh, over 4,000 if you do preschooling children. And we've had 200 baptisms a year for the last five or seven years. Um, our, my first year, we had four baptisms. Uh, your first year is uh, downtown. Yeah. I was a youth minister. And then the next year was six. Then the next year was four. Then the next year was eight. I'm not saying that's the litmus test for how you're doing. I'm just saying we're seeing more people come to know the Lord now than we ever have. Mm. So, you know, that's that's what I look at in terms of saying, hey, was one of the older guys who I love said this when he was really criticized about what we were doing. And I can't believe you go there. I can't believe you do. And he, and he said, you know, I, all I know is that the lame walk in the blind sea. And it's kind of hard to argue with that older man who didn't like what we were doing, mm-hmm. but he liked the results of it. Yeah. So you, you mentioned your your average weekly attendance. You, you've gone up from what was 600 and something folks, um, which I'm sure decreased during the time that you were making all the changes. And now you're around 3,500 Adventure which you, Outreach Magazine lists Venture yeah. Church as the 29th fastest growing church in America. Yeah, yeah. you know, I don't tell any people that because, you know, <laughs> I don't want people to think that I'm like bragging about that. Yeah. Because I feel real, uh, I'm amazed by it, feel humble by it. And uh, all of our team is fascinated with what has happened. Yeah. And so I really don't. You know, like, like I'll talk a lot about downtown and the trouble because there's a lot of guys wanting to make changes and can't. But um, the the second time we've been in the magazine since I'm not willing to talk about it, I'm talking about it. Yeah, and it's 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 a it's a real credit to what God has done and the young team that we put together, but more importantly, the volunteerism in our church. Uh, because our people understand they're the secret sauce, the Holy Spirit working in them. Mm. And because of them, we're able to grow and not have to hire so many staff. Yeah. You know, they're staff people. They're just not paid. And so because of that, we've reached thousands of people. You know, the church has grown, I don't know, several hundred percent mm. in the last 10 years. And that's obviously not the case in a lot of churches around America. I mean, you've got thousands that are closing their doors every year. Yeah. So what is the secret um, that that you have or that, that Venture has that these other churches are just missing out on? Is it simply they're wanting to cling to religion and tradition? Um, because I'm sure Venture has its own traditions as well, right? Yeah. Well, we have a culture. Yeah. And, you know, culture is a little different than tradition, although you can have your culture built around tradition. Um, our culture is is about being real and about being open to people that may not believe in God or even believe in what you're doing. You know, people who are unchurched. And one of the reasons we've had several hundred people baptized a year you know, probably a thousand in the last 10 years or last five years is that we have a lot of lost people in the room. Now, I know that sounds simplistic, but it's hard for an empty chair to get saved. And so we've been willing to do anything short of sin 
to reach out to one more person that is unchurched. And that's our, you know, our vision is to reach unchurched people and mission is to lead them to know, love, and follow Jesus. And a lot of churches have a different, now they aspire to that, but their mission is to really reach some people and disciple them and, you know, give them more and more information and uh, hopefully they'll somehow duplicate themselves. What are some of the uh, non-traditional ways y'all have reached out to the unchurched? Well, our music style is definitely part of it. Right. Our uh, open openness when you come in and the greeters and the people in the, you know, we, we have a, they used to, down to, you know, when you're, the older school would call it, you know, total period teaching. But we have like from the minute you get close to our facility, we have a contact with you. And there's a system to walk you all the way through <clears throat> to to get you into a place where you'll go to our your venture where you'll find out more about our church, more about yourself, and then involve you in volunteering and serving. And so that to me is kind of the secret is we actually have a plan to get you from the parking lot uh, into a leadership position. And I think most churches and I, we were like this up until just a few years ago. So I'm not, I'm look, we stumbled on this and I'm thankful for it. But most churches, you, you come to get something, get fed, get encouraged, you know, hide out, whatever Uh, for us, you know, uh, we want you to realize you're here to serve. And you're here to give and you're here to uh, be in a group to invest and you're here to invite your friends. I mean, there's something for you to do. And and when we line those out up front, if people don't want to do that, then, you know, we don't want them to to come because they'll get frustrated because we're not changing our strategy. Yeah. And, And where it's different than tradition is we're willing to use any instrument. Like if the organ comes back, we're gonna to get to it. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever, if you ever start listening to the radio and hear organ music, we'll probably get us an organ. It might just be the wrong people playing the organ. You might need one with the right yeah. player. Well, that's a great point. Now we had great organists. You know, I yeah. think something about that. They were amazing. Um, it's just that you didn't hear that music anywhere else when you left. Like you didn't turn like, what channel is the organ playing on? She can do worship. <laughs> Hang on, let me look it up. I got it saved right yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> like if you find that one, let me know. I couldn't even find it on XM Radio, like yeah. the organ station. It's, it's not really there. And so, you know, we we have an experience that you can have during the week. I mean, you can, you can the music we listen to and sing and and all that. It's music you can hear during the week and your kids can hear. Mm-hmm. You know, my goodness, I mean, I would want my children to want to come to church. Right. I'd build environments. I want my kids to have an environment where they can go and they can not just learn like the books of the Bible. The devil knows the books of the Bible. James 2.19. I'd want them to like meet Jesus and like learn to worship and worship during the week. And integrate that when they go to school and how they treat people. And so that's what we try to do uh, at Venture as best we can. Uh, and we have weaknesses. 
you know, I wish I wish we could get more people involved quicker. I wish people, as they get older, would realize they still have gifts to be used instead of wanting to settle, you know, and sit down somewhere. But um, but doing anything short of sin to reach another person and existing for the people we're trying to reach rather than the people we already have, it's a huge paradigm shift. Mm. Because it doesn't sound like it makes sense on paper, like how are you going to pay your bills? Well, we've been through that. And God made a way. You know, he, he found ways for us to meet the challenges we face financially without the richest people in town. Yeah. So I mentioned a while ago about how thousands of churches are closing their doors, but it seems that mega churches, especially in the past couple of decades, have really been gaining steam. We've yeah. seen it, um, seen it a lot. We talked earlier about the Church of the Highlands, um, Pine Lake here yeah. in Mississippi. Um, you've, you know, you've got several big name pastors with mega churches all over the United States. What about a mega church? I guess was there ever a time in your mind where you thought that maybe mega churches weren't the biblical way to do church? Did you ever wrestle with that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I you know, I grew up. Remember, I grew up in a church that ran seventy five. Okay, so you know, I don't get, I don't lose track of that, and uh, but you know, I realized you can be a small church and not be a biblical church. I mean, when when you look at a when you look at a church, you have to ask yourself some questions about, you know, are are people coming? That's important, you know. Are they uh, serving? Are they giving? And are people getting baptized? Are they get? Are their lives being changed? And so I, I think that's really my concern. Being a big church is not important to me. If it was, we'd built another big building on Lincoln Road and had four, five thousand people at one place. And that's not the way it works. You know, you've got smaller buildings in smaller areas that run different amounts of people. So, uh, you know, we, we are a, a mega church in some ways, but in some ways with small groups, 135, 140 small groups, we're also a small church. So, so you know, to try to be stereotypical that a small church is not biblical is not true. There are a lot of small churches that are amazing and they're growing and they're building other churches and they're giving and serving and going. And then there's some large churches that are really doing great things. And there's some large churches that are crazy <laughs> or they're just crazy. Yeah. I mean, like I would never do that. I'm, yeah. You know, like I'm looking thinking that is terrible theology. So I, I don't think it's a, it's so much it being a mega church or being a, uh, a community church. It's, are they teaching the scriptures? Are people getting saved? Are people in community? Are people serving and are people giving? Mm. And we just so happen to have a way to track all those things. And it lets us know whether or not we're on track with the four things that the early church did. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about how crazy mega churches can be, but I'm also concerned about how mean small churches can be. Mm. So, you know, but really I'm concerned about venture. You know, who's God called us to be? 
What are we supposed to do? How do we stay on track? How do we fight this pull back to some kind of tradition, you know, so that we can stay on focus in being who God's called us to be in our in the communities we're in? Mm. And that's a, that's a, that's difficult. I mean, people don't realize that as you grow, it gets more difficult because you're saying no to so many really good things, mm. and that's hard. People want to use our building all the time. We say, well, you know, that's not what we do. You know, we, we can't do that because we've got this going on, that going on. You know, and we're trying to simplify. Uh, people want to have conferences or you know go to con- you know we we know we here's some things we do and this is all we do. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other great churches in our community that do those things really well. And that's where you ought to be. And so, you know, that's our struggle right now. You know, staying on track with our vision, mission, strategy, our core values, and not losing our culture. Do you really believe that, and if I heard you right, you said if you don't, you didn't say subscribe to, but if this is the way we do venture, and if you don't like that, we're not the church for you. You said something along those lines. So if... Do you really believe that, like, we should just keep spreading out and maybe there's not, you know, we shouldn't spread out so thin, but shouldn't. All right, so let me reword this because I'm kind of getting lost in my own question. But I've always pictured, like, you know, a church should be for everybody, you know. Now, some people have different, are not there. They're stuck in their tradition. They don't want to move. They want it to be this little box, and that's not what church should be. Right. But um, do you ever get, do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever kind of figure out, tempted to try to change what venture is, to try to include more people, or do you just kind of pass that? Let me try to explain. That's a great question, and let me reframe what I was saying. We we are a church for everyone. Right. I mean, like, we have every kind of person you can think of at venture. Right. We have old people, we have young people, we have black people, we have white people, we have Hispanics, we have Asian, we have, you know, you name, you you grab a hold of some term and we got it. <laughs> and yeah. we love it. We're a melting pot. But in terms of our vision of where we're going, that has to stay clear because where you have more than one vision, you've got the vision. Mm-hmm. And most churches really are, or have like 20 churches inside them. So it's not like that. you got 20 visions. In it's one not church. like they're united under no, one purpose. No, yet. They, they happen to meet together, but they got, you know, eight or 10 different ideas of what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all we're saying is there's no way for us to grow and, and stay clear on our vision and mission and strategy that God's given us. If every time somebody comes in, they go, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we have, you know, a coon hunt? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's what I mean by, you know, like, if you like coon hunting, you know, you probably need to go to another church. But in terms of everybody, we want everybody. We want, matter of fact, we want everybody, especially who's unchurched. And, but this is how, when you come into our family and you buy in to where we're going, this is where the train's going. Otherwise, you'd have cars scattered everywhere all over because you'd have a crash. And that's one of the reasons churches aren't growing. 
They cannot define a clear vision of where they're supposed to end up. And therefore, they don't go anywhere. Oh, yeah, they got a lot of different kind of people. And they'll do this one week and that one week and this one week and that another, another month and over here. And then all of a sudden, they've never left the train station. Yeah. Vision is a, is a powerful thing. You know, the Bible says without vision, the people perish. Or they look for another parish. <laughs> and so, you know, it, but you, in that, that, you've probably hit on it why, why so many churches aren't growing. They've not been able to clarify their vision. Because I think churches are kind of like the body on a bigger scale. I think there are different churches who God has gifted and called to do different unique ministries within the framework of the kingdom, big kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. This just so happens to be ours. And there are other churches that are growing who are, who are majorly into discipleship. And, you know, they, there's, there's different things they do that we just don't do. Mm-hmm. And we want people to go to that church. We, here's the thing about churches. If the, if the water level grow, goes up in our churches, it goes up for everybody. If, if other churches in our community grow, they get settled on the vision they have. It doesn't hurt us. It helps us. It's kind of like the corn farmer that kept giving his best corn away to his neighbors, best seed corn. And finally, the guy said, why are you doing this? He says, because you don't understand, as their corn grows, it germinates with my corn. If their corn is healthier, my corn's healthier. And it's the same way in the church. And, and it's one of the dangers of people jumping churches, jumping from here to there. Right. And one of the ways we keep that from happening is, and this is why I tell people, if you're in a real traditional church and, and people are into what you're doing, they're going to hate us. <laughs> I mean, they're going to hate us. We got lights blinking and people drinking coffee in the <laughs> sanctuary. And I mean, you know, it, me running around in my blue jeans, hollering. And so, you know, we have that's, but that's who we are. And so people get to decide, you know, is this, is this where God has you to, to be involved with your gifts and with your calling, with your family? And if not, man, hey, we, we are excited for you before he's got you going because you're going to be amazing there. And so that's kind of how we, we look at it. And we've lost people to other churches and lost them to other churches. Yeah. It's, it's really just, you know, God's doing something in their life somewhere else. Yeah. Everybody's serving the same God. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways we've built four or five churches in town with all of our people that have left and taken their money. <laughs> But I hadn't gotten into that, so I'm trying to be, you know, nice you about it. You need to it. find a partnership with them or something. Well, I've wanted, to, I've wanted to kick back, and yeah. one of the preachers told me, don't be looking in your mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> the royalty check is not coming. Royalty check. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I want to kind of, I guess, get off, off topic for a second, but um, something that's happened recently over the past weekend was the, the church shooting yeah. in, mm-hmm. in, in Texas where— um, the guy came in. He was he was disguised and had a shotgun. I believe killed two people before one of the members of the church's security team um, put a bullet in his head and um, eliminated the threat. 
But and Spoken and so that was like a military person. Yeah, I think it's that man. Yeah. Really that practiced that line. Eliminated yeah. the yeah. threat. That's like a shooter. It's like a movie shooter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know, there there were, there were a lot of people who who basically put this guy on a pedestal saying that he's a hero and yeah. he um he saved a lot of lives, which is true. I mean mm-hmm. he, he did, he saved a lot of lives. Um but there are, are some other folks who are saying, you know, it's not necessarily that they're anti-guns or about gun control, but they're saying Christians shouldn't be defending violence or even um, even when it comes to protecting their yeah. own, um, it, it, when it comes to killing someone else. And so uh, I know that the adventure and as well as many churches in our area have security teams yeah. and they are prepared to. Uh, eliminate a threat if one poses itself um, to protect the kids, the women, the men, um, the innocent people who are, are there and are just trying to worship. Yeah. So I guess the the question with all of that being said is, is that Christ-like? Is it Christ-like to have 10 people carrying weapons prepared to kill someone if they try to harm the people at your church? Well, I think I've got a responsibility as a shepherd to protect the flock. And one of the things we would say to you is if you run toward the stage with anything in your hand, you're going to meet Jesus. Somebody's going to shoot you. Uh, and we don't, I mean, like we, we're, we're maxed out cameras. We're maxed out security. We maxed out security teams. We have different SWAT team members that are happen to be on our security team. And we feel it would be unchristian to let someone walk into a church filled with women and children, a soft target, and open up fire on them uh, without eliminating them before they have that opportunity. Uh, You know, I, I have a real problem with churches who are naive enough to believe that they can just go in to a building and think that just because they're at church, they're safe. Because that's just not true. Uh, matter of fact, in the years to come, I think uh, theaters and churches uh, are going to be more of a target. And so uh, we have special measures that we've not even talked about to other people that, uh, that can still happen. There are different ways that you can skirt around the issue maybe to, but you wouldn't, I don't think you'd get many shots off unless you were just in a, it'd have to be a a series of uh, a perfect storm of of situations where somehow we, we missed it Hmm. because we're, we take security extremely serious and we have, and one of the ways you can serve at our church is kind of like a little commercial is be on our, be on our security team yeah. because we have people that are, uh, they have, you know, the little ear things in their ear and they're mm-hmm. walking around. And, but yeah, I, I would think it would be unchristian to not protect your family and especially your church family, uh, to just sit there and watch children get mowed down. To me, that that's insanity. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I I watched the 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 video of the of the shooting in in Fort Worth, and um, I hate that the security guard 
didn't get to him quicker. Hmm. Um, so it could eliminate him. Yeah. Because uh, I ask a, I ask a, um, an agent about why would somebody do that? And he said the reason they choose churches is because they know they can kill the most people there. Hmm. And uh, we're we're going to do all that we can to pro- prohibit that. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, I like what you said about don't be naive to think that you're safe. Because I mean, Christianity, you know, started you know in hiding, you know, and so it's not you know it's not like it's we should expect you know um, to be safe anywhere. You know, kind of going back to our roots of starting churches and homes and hiding and yeah. some countries still do that, you know, where it's not some big public display as it is a secretive meeting just to get together and gather. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's been sad to watch what's happened in, in the Jewish community. Uh, I love the Jewish people and to watch the different ways, even at a, at, at one of the um, leaders homes, Mm-hmm. You know, and so like if if you come in my house like that, you know, I'm going to shoot you. Uh, and it's going to take me a second because I have to put it all together because I try not to. I, you know, I don't want to like do it too quick. Like I want to think about it for a second before I shoot you. <laughs> but but I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. And, you know, I hate that it's, it's that simple to me. I'm sure it's probably more complex. There's probably a, a debate on that. But I just don't know what it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've. The, from the other side of, of, I guess, this argument debate is that, you know, if, if Christians are saying they are Christ-like, that, that that is the goal, to be Christ-like, then there's no biblical account um, or reference that, that Jesus would, that you could even flip and flop to say that, that Jesus backed People protecting themselves by using, by murder or by killing someone who's trying to murder them, and yeah, yeah I, I mean, and I, not that that's I my stance. I, I'm just saying yeah, that's the. I, I can intellectually go there, yeah. But at the end of the day, when you take the whole Bible in the context of it, uh, I think the idea of uh, protecting your family and the idea of, of just war, if there is such a thing, uh, is different than murder. You know, I don't, I don't think you ought to go out and murder someone or shoot somebody because you think they may be a criminal. But uh, I do think there's a, a sense where, you know, you've got to protect protect your family and protect the people you love. It, and the worst case scenario is it comes to violence. Yeah. Yeah, and one of my favorite quotes is um, by John Stuart Mill. He says, war is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, the the worst possible thing is the man who thinks there's nothing that's worth war. Yeah. That's much worse than war itself. Yeah. And and that's something that's always stuck in my mind. And and I'm with you. I mean, if, if somebody comes in my house or, or our church and, and they mean to do harm, they're not going to have an opportunity for very long to do it. But I just I've, I've found that other side of the argument to be yeah. very interesting, 
Um, because people really do. I mean, they're pacifists. Sure. They don't believe in, in any type of violence whatsoever. And so, I mean, these people are worshiping the same God as yeah. what Baptist Christians are worshiping as well. Well, you know, I, 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 I say that they have the right to that, and I'm, I'm not saying that they're wrong or evil. Sure. I just, it, the, the quote of all it takes for evil to run amok is for good people to do nothing. I don't know. It's, it's something like that. Yeah. But I, I think that's, that's the case. And, you know, the, the Amish people that have had things that have happened and they've forgiven people and all that, I think that is amazing, you know. Um, but for us, if you, you know, if you're going to harm our people, we're going to have to try to protect them. Yeah. Well, those are all the questions I have, Andy. If you want, you got anything, and then we'll jump into the same seven. Now let's jump into it. Okay. So yeah, um, I don't have my notes, but I think I can remember them. It's only seven of them. So, <laughs> first question, and again, these aren't what the uh, well. This might be a hybrid version. Not so much uh, what the Bible teaches as much as what does Jeff feel about these answers? Okay. Not okay. the Sunday school answer, unless yeah. your yeah. answer aligns perfectly with the Sunday school answer. You know? Okay. Uh, don't feel. I did go to Sunday school. Yes, I mean, <laughs> feel free to. I read, hate Sunday school. Feel, feel free to recite school. any sermon that you okay. had. <laughs> okay. So. Um, yeah, I probably not remember these in order, but we'll just go with it. That's okay. So what is heaven? Heaven is to be in the presence of God, obviously. But when you die, if you know Christ and you've been saved, you've been redeemed, you've been changed, uh, you're with him, uh, you reign with him. I don't think it's like a cloud where you sit on a cloud and play a harp, like a little naked babies. Uh, I think it's actually a place and. And, and possibly a reconstituted uh, earth in heaven where you actually have things that you're to do based on the things you did here. But the main thing is you're with, you're with the Lord. You're, you're with the redeemed. You're with people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. And it'll be better than anything we've ever thought we've experienced here. Okay. Uh, what is hell? Absence. With the presence of God. <laughs> and and it's really, you know, it's the other side of, of God's uh, amazing character of, of, of love and justice. And, and it proves his love by God saying, if you choose to live a life without me, you choose to live your own way. You choose to disobey the commandments. You choose to commit whatever it is you're doing then the way you see the love of God is through the justice of God. Without hell, there'd be no heaven. And so it, hell is really important. It's a really important theme because it's true. Because if everybody, you know, you take Hitler and, and Mussolini and uh, all the nuts, and if they all went to heaven, that heaven would mean nothing. But it's, it's a part of the beauty of God's character that reminds you that he is a loving God. He's also a just God. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, who is God? God is creator. Uh, he is triune. He is uh, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was. 
and is and is to come. He was before all things. He'll be after all things. He is uh, the designer. He's the first mover. He's a father. He's a friend. He's a shepherd. Uh, He is the one that when you find your identity in being his child, uh, changes everything about your internal joy regardless of your circumstances. Does that, does that sound good? Does it sound right? Yeah. Sound yeah, I think that okay. passes. Right. Um, <laughs> the ultimate judge, Andy Riggs. Um, yeah, we'll accept that answer. All right, moving on to the next one. <laughs> what is the Bible? You get to level up. Like, this is Mario or something. Yeah. yeah. Level up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what is the Bible? The Bible is the inspired, written Word of God written uh, by men who were inspired, supernaturally inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the things they saw and heard that God has used to redeem mankind. I hate it's all like that, but you know, I think about the Bible, you know, to get kind of loosey-goosey with it, I'm afraid God would shoot me, strike me dead. <laughs> That's fine. We'll, we'll move on from that. Okay. Who is Jesus? Jesus is uh, the Son of God who came, born of a virgin. A lot of people don't believe that. That'd be a cool mm-hmm. thing. A lot of people don't, a lot of younger people don't, about 57% of millennials don't believe in the virgin birth. Uh, born of a virgin, uh, lived a sinless life, uh, lived the life that we should have lived, could, and then died on the cross to pay a penalty for our sins so that we didn't have to go to hell, we could go to heaven. If we could accept the transaction he made on our behalf uh, to become sin for us and then appeared after the third day, rose from the dead. That's pretty cool. If you rise from the dead, I'll follow you. Hey, that's, uh, he rose that's... from the dead and he appeared to over 500 people and ascended into heaven while he was being watched by dozens of people. And uh, will one day come back for us on a white horse. Uh, and I think he'll have a tattoo on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if you don't like tattoos, you need to watch it. He's <laughs> sorry. I got to yeah, see, I just, yeah. I, you got to stop me. No, 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 no we, that's okay. the I thought whole you were going to say a tattoo somewhere else. And uh, yeah, okay, like the, no, the lower no, back. No, I no, no, yeah. thigh. It's on the thigh. It's in Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been a bad translation. Yes, it could have. And it could have been been. across the chest. We don't know. Yeah. Um, All right. What is sin? Sin is literally, it means to miss the bullseye. It's amartia. I hate to do that. But it means to miss the mark. It means to do less than your best. It means if you know to do something good and you don't do it, it means that when you do something, you know, it's not right, but you do it. Uh, but it's basically being self-centered and doing what you want to do in a way that pleases you. And then the last one is, why are we here? We are here to bring glory to God. We're image bearers. And he placed us here so that he could redeem us and that we could be uh, redeemers of this planet. I mean, our, our role here is not just to learn about him and, and uh, pray and go to church. Our, our, our role is uh, 
to take ground for the kingdom that his will be done on earth as is in heaven. And so we're on mission. We, we have spiritual gifts. We are reconstituting uh, the earth for him because the, the world was broken by sin in Genesis chapter 3. And we're the light of the world. We're the only hope that the world has. Certainly not the government. My Jesus, take the will <laughs> on that. It is, it is the people of God, uh, his church, the redeemed church on this earth. Okay. Andy, uh, let me calculate. Did, um, Let's uh, calculate. How, you how we do? <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. That's man. a pass. So. Yeah, well, um, Jeff, we have thoroughly enjoyed spending some time with you and, and talking with you about your story. And it's such a, it's a fascinating story. And it's one of, of a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles and um, a lot of growth. I mean, there's no doubt about the impact that the ventures had on the city of Hattiesburg and not just the city, but um, entire South Mississippi. And I'm sure it stretches um, across the world with the different missions that y'all serve and uh, missionaries that you support. Um, so thank you for being a guest on the same seven. And um, if folks are wanting to to learn more about Venture, learn more about Jeff Clark, where can they go to do that? They can go to VentureChurch.org, and you'll have a highlight of everything we believe when we do what we do, when we meet. We're offering a, a brand-new worship time starting uh, this year in, in uh, 2020. I've got to preach another time. I've preached three times on Sunday morning, and I'm kind of excited about it, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And you'll find out about that. You can watch some old messages and find out, hey, you know, can I handle this? Is this right for me? Podcast, venture podcast. And uh, most people, that's where they start. That's the front end, front door of the church. And we'd love to have them, you know, log on VentureChurch.org and find out who Venture is and where we're heading and how they can be a part of it. Yeah, and also um, your book, The End of Church as We Know It. I'm working folks find that if they you want know, to buy a copy. You know, that's an older copy. We've wanted to update it, but you can go on Amazon, and I think it's free with Prime. I mean, you like get a free copy, or you can get a downloadable copy. Mm-hmm. We also have some at the church, and uh, we'll probably, if you come out, we'll probably give you one. It's, it's really an unusual story, uh, but it's a story of the reality of what churches can do. You can, you can actually change things, but but you're going to get punished for it. <laughs> but you can still live. Yeah. So, uh, but we'd, we'd love for them to have a copy of it. Yeah. If you come to Venture and you go through your Venture, we give you a free copy. There you go. Yeah. Or you can just download it on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole lot easier. Yeah. Oh, um, well, with it being the new year, if you want to sign off with any advice for folks who are listening for um, 2020. Yeah, you know, th- this is the year, and I've read this a couple of places, so it's not, you know, unique to my thinking, but to be present, to, to try to put my phone down, to try to live in the moment, you know, be thankful for what God's given me. I think it's going to be a struggle to do that because I love my phone. Uh, I love thinking about the next hill to climb. Uh, I get distracted easily because I'm ADD. But this year, to enjoy the time you have, because we just don't know how much time we have here. And I guess doing so many funerals, I I realize that more than most people. Every day, 
is a gift. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your parents if they're still alive. Enjoy the people you work with because we've been truly blessed to live in this country and get to do the things we do. Yeah. I love that, man. Be yeah, present. that's a good one. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something I certainly need to do. And since I'm not following my other resolutions, I guess I can <laughs> take that one up yeah, and man. start it as well. But um, listeners, thank you as always for tuning into the Same 7 Podcast. We have a lot of great guests lined up. And again, Jeff, thank you for coming on. Um, it really is an honor for you to be here. It's yeah, a great privilege. So you guys we, are amazing. We appreciate it. Appreciate it so much. And um, until next time, God bless. Peace. <laughs>